This is Buck Benny speaking. I'm with my friend Bob. Howdy. We're here to uh, talk Star Trek. We are on Picard, episode six. And so uh, Bob will give us a uh, little background on what's going on in this episode. Over to you, my friend Bob. So in this episode, um, Card finds out where Soji is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he realized she's on the Borg reclamation cube, which has a lot of sort of negative connotations for him because it's he's not com- never did completely get over being assimilated. Right. Um, so we see that happening. Um, the other part of the story is that now uh, Soji is having dreams about her dad dad mm-hmm. where she's walking down the hall um and she tells Narek and Narek says well this is the key to finding out where she's from so he he's doing things to like trigger her like he tells her all of her conversations with her mom are 90 seconds so he's trying to like sort of play with the dissonance she's having yes he's starting to realize she's, something isn't normal about her mm-hmm um, and so she, one scene, she takes all of her stuff out and she runs a scanner against it and realizes everything she owns, even stuff she thought she had when she was a kid is like only like three years old. Right. That's fr- freaking her out. Um, and then, so Nareth puts her through this sort of Vulcan or Romulan ritual that's supposed to get into your mind. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's when she reveals she's from some planet with two two red moons and lightning. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Ricard ends up getting diplomatic papers to get on the cube, which uh, Raffi pretty much sort of kind of blackmails Starfleet Command into giving her. <laughs> which I thought that scene was funny. Uh, yeah, and it, it, it adds to her character. I love that. So, yeah. And then Ricard actually does meet up with the director who's Q from which is a character that came out of next gen. Right. I didn't realize that was him. I remember the episode, but because his face looked familiar, it wasn't until this episode that it made the connection. Mm-hmm. And so he sort of, luckily it's him. So he helps Picard out. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Narek ends up trying to kill Soji, but, yeah. but she goes, she goes, she becomes activated basically and just like tears through the floor because yeah. he, he, it's some sort of radiation he released. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also got the sense that he's still in love with her. Yeah, there's there's the undercurrent there, yeah. I Which I don't know how that's going to play, if that's going to play out. Um, and then, so the, the, the Romans are kind of closing in and they find the Queen's Chamber I guess there's some sort of like long range transporter thing that they jump through and they basically transport to another planet, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about next week, which has some interesting, uh, well, called side effects. And yes. There's some things uh, that happen on that planet that are 
tie back into next gen. Yeah, if you're ever going to plan on not watching it, uh, you know, leaving the series and not watching a next episode, this is not the place to do that. You definitely need to watch the next episode because uh, it's one of the most fun of the series. Uh, yeah, if you're a if you're a um, if you're a next gen fan, yeah, yeah, don't yeah, don't leave. Um, so that's I think that's all the storylines. Yeah. Well, and uh, just to to give you guys a warning, spoilers. Bob just gave away the entire episode. So, <laughs> oh, I thought we were... probably should have said that first. But uh, you know what? You've listened to these podcasts. If you're listening to this podcast, you've heard enough of these that you know we just destroy the whole episode and talk about it. So it's all good. Um, and uh, we also um, I try and play interviews after it, whether they're from Ready Room or whatever. So. Uh, I hope you enjoy those and always stick around after our discussion to hear any interviews from character from the actors and producers of the show and stuff. Uh, anyway, uh, an enjoyable episode. Uh, I, I kind of knew this one, one of these kind would be coming that because uh, we haven't been focusing on Soji. And so this was a Soji intensive episode and uh uh, you can kind of get the feel of where they're going with the series. They go back and forth. And um, uh, lately it's been more Picard and, and what his team and him assembling his team and so forth. Uh, I thought them adding uh, seven of nine to um, the series really was smart in that uh it's not like they randomly just sort of said, well, well, what actor can we get from the original series or something? They picked uh, Seven and Nine for a reason because like Picard, she was part Borg and had experienced what it is to be assimilated with the Borg. So this whole series ties into both artificial, um, uh, what, artificial life forms uh, like Data and also uh, ties that in uh, has the other focuses on the Borg and what's happened with the Borg. And I think uh, it's an interesting combination for them to play with and then have the storyline weave through this, that all of that's not the main storyline, but it's within the storyline. And, and I, I think it gives it a, rich, a richness that I really enjoy. Um, overall, this, this series so far, Bob, uh, are you liking it like more than Discovery seasons or less than Discovery? Or how would you relate it to, to Discovery? I'm, it's different than Discovery for sure. Yeah. Um, there's, there's like action, but not, it's not quite a continuous shoot them up. Right. I actually like it better than Discovery at the moment. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I like the, those characters. Yeah. I can see that. If you want space battles, there's not as many in this one. Um, it's a lot of more character sort of work. And for me, I'd say, I guess, I wouldn't know this, but now I know, I guess. I kind of enjoy a little more of being on a starship and just the the, the traditional Star Trek sort of things. Um, the... the Voyager in some ways, though I wouldn't have described it this way in the past because people always say it's completely different than the old series and that's why I hate it or whatever. But a lot of it is similar to the old, to what the series have always been, which is you're on a starship, you have missions, you do these things. Whereas Picard is completely different. Picard is 
focusing on a character, Picard, and what in this adventure that he sort of goes on, if if anything, it it I mean it doesn't it, it doesn't really tie into this, but I you know I'll, I'll just use it as an example. I'd say it's closer to say an Indiana Jones sort of thing where he's just sort of going through something, going through an adventure um, and and meeting interesting characters along the way and so forth. Then Star Trek, where it's a assembled crew that is experiencing something together. This is where he has to assemble the people and they, and there's adventures that go along the way. I like it. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. It's different. Um, uh, but like I say, I probably like, if I was had to pick, I'd probably say discovery a little bit more than this generally, but uh, what's lovely is I don't have to pick. And I just go, this is awesome because it would be a mistake if they would have, in my opinion, if they would have just made him be, oh, it's Admiral Picard on his ship and it's, and it's his adventures with his crew. I think that would have not serviced the character as well as this does. So um, also I think you start to, they're going to start to get too many shows like that perhaps. And so I think having uh, each show we've had is completely unique and completely different than every other show of these new series, whether it's the animated one, whether it's discovery, whether it's this sounds like um, section 31 is going to be completely different. And so is prodigy is going to be a totally different thing as well. Um, And then of course, um, the Strange New Worlds is going to be more probably, probably the closest thing to what the original Star Trek was, which makes sense that it should be. And yet they're all going to feel different. And it's, so it's, it makes it where you don't get that Star Trek burnout as much as, as even if, as you did, even there was a little Star Trek burnout back in the day when they'd have Next Generation and Deep Space Nine running at the same time or Deep Space Nine and Voyager running at the same time because those did feel like a sameness to them, whereas these won't. I mean, because they, they're just set to different in different time. All of that was in the same time frame. These are all different time frames that we're going to, and I think that helps as well. That's my opinion anyway. Um, Bob, how much of that do you kind of agree with or disagree with, or what do you think? Yeah, I don't think they could do the whole thing without Discovery. Yeah. You said it's definitely not traditional Star Trek in terms of, like you said, a spaceship, starship out in space and them coming across aliens and things. It's, you know, like I said, it's mostly about Picard and, and somewhat about the other characters. But yeah, it's, it's definitely different. I think, yeah, they can't do it. They couldn't do it the other way. Right. I think the reason I like it is just it's such a callback to next gen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what it's supposed to be. I mean, they get just enough of that that it doesn't feel like overly fan service. Like the whole thing is like, oh, this episode, he needs to go talk to Jordy. Oh, this episode, he's going to experience Worf. Oh, and, and now look, it's somebody, it, it's not that. They're there just every once in a while, every few episodes, he, he bumps into somebody and they're always tied into this story uh which i think is good um so and so far we've only seen data in the very first episode and then we've had seven of nine in uh i guess last week's episode um it's not really next gen but she's like 
you know, she's that. but she's that from that kind of time frame, and yeah, she's not a gen. She wasn't in next gen. She was in Voyager, but um, I don't know. To me, all those get kind of jumbled in your head anyway, and so you're like, oh, this is an old home week. We see somebody that we know from the past, but in Picard's case, it's like they're meeting. I think they treat them like they've met before. They knew of each other, but they they weren't close because we didn't know them to even know each other. So uh, anyway, but I think that's great. And we'll see where it goes from there. I think you're looking for some pleasant surprises next week for sure. Uh, Anything else about this episode and and things? You did a great job covering the whole thing. So I thought that was great. Um, I like Soji's part. I, and, and because I guess because they killed off her sister, I'm like, I, I did feel like, oh, are they going to eliminate Soji here? Is she going to get out of this thing? Because it made it seem like a pretty difficult situation for her to get out of in this episode. Um, but she does, and that's great. And seeing her activated is kind of fun and things. So um, anyway, uh, anything else, Bob? Yeah, I was just thinking her kind of dissonance is something actually even real people actually experience. Yeah. Except for her case, it's really severe because she started to realize that she's definitely not who she thinks she is. Right. And that actually comes out even more in the next episode, which I won't spoil. Um, yeah, it's a light, leave that part, but yeah, you're right. Uh, Picard gets a little chastised for his yeah treatment of her, um, her, her psychological state. Um yeah. Yeah, so no, no, I like really like this episode. Good. On um, next one, I'm really intrigued about how this is going to wrap up because it's Picard loved obviously loves this Soji because he's Data's she's Data's daughter, but then there's the other half the alien the the synths are bad and the Romulans obviously think that they're basically going to destroy the universe and the synths get loose. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to see how they this comes together and what, what actually happened and her more about her. I hope there's more about her origin in it. Which is exactly where they would hope you would be right. As the writers putting this together are like, okay, we need to put enough pieces in the puzzle that it keeps them wanting to tune in, but we need them wanting to keep on tuning in the future because they're going, where is this going to go? And that's exactly what this is doing. So I I think uh, they've done a really nice job with this, with this series and uh, I, I do think it's interesting because, you know, when we get tied into things is when it's something that we could empathize with or understand, you know, and any of us that are kind of science fiction, have that kind of way of thinking at some point think, you know, is our life just like, am I living a computer program? And then my, my memories aren't really there. And, and this, you know, you start getting these fantasy things going of of uh well like bob and i now i mean we were really close as we're kids and then all of a sudden we have 15 years where we don't communicate very much with each other and then now we're seeing each other every week again and so it's like did all that time in between really happen is it it's strange how time works and your brain works and everything so that's elon Musk thing he thinks we're in a simulation yeah he's wearing some kids some alien kids computer in the future or just like, we're just like bits, which freaks some people out when you tell them that like, oh God, now my, my life's meaningless. 
Yeah, right. And uh, yeah, if you believe that, it's uh, that's the thing is that, well, I'm sure it freaks out some stockholders of Elon Musk stuff where they're like, oh, we're trusting this guy with the doing all these innovative things and stuff. But well, I think that, I think if he believes that, it kind of serves him because he's like, what the, how do I, what do I have to lose? I don't exist, I don't exist anyway. <laughs> it's that way of looking at it. Also, I, honestly, I, the most creative, um, what brilliant people I know, kind of have those thoughts every once in a while. I mean, it's not like it's not like we think about that sort of all the time, but but there's that thought. There's the thought of you know, are aliens watching us and things. I mean, that we, we've talked about in this week's episode of uh, uh, of In Search of, and you know there's lots of thoughts that go on uh, for creative people where their minds go different places and that's okay. Uh, as long as it's not completely changing like who they are or making them make some bad choices like, Oh, well, no one's life matters. I can kill anybody I want. And that sort of thing. That's where we run into real problems. But uh, you know, like Bob says, Elon Musk doing it and saying, well, I can go ahead and do this fairly high risk thing because I'm maybe I'm not real anyway or whatever, and I might as well do it. And so then he tries to create, you know, a spacecraft or whatever he's doing. And I, I think that's a good thing for there to be someone out there who's got a decent amount of money who can try a lot of things and, um, you know, bring a lot of things to life. That's how we get the innovations we get. That's how you get like a Steve jobs and so forth, putting things together and saying, Oh, let's, create something that would be helpful that we've never been created before. And, and you pull up your phone and you're like, wow, I can do so many things with my phone now that I couldn't do with my computer, you know, a generation ago. And then before that you couldn't do any of it. So yeah, go ahead, Bob. Did you catch him on Saturday Night Live? I did not. I, I saw parts of it. But he was actually pretty it was pretty funny, actually, because he's a little bit like Simo in the last we just talked about Winter Soldier. He's so deadpan flat. Yeah. Delivery that it actually comes off funny. <laughs> I actually, I especially went all the way to watch him, and it actually was kind of, it was actually pretty funny. We should do a podcast where we talk about that. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Maybe we will. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I hope you all uh, enjoy this episode if you haven't watched it yet. I, I would highly recommend this Picard series. Again, ignore all the haters out there. Most, uh, I always think it's funny that, that like half of them or more say things like, it's a terrible series, it's a terrible idea, blah, blah, blah. I haven't watched a single episode because I refuse to watch any. And then it's like, okay, well, how does your judgment count as anything then? I mean, you have to, to my way of thinking, you can't judge something until you've actually experienced it, until you've watched it. I mean, if you watch the first episode, you can critique the first episode. If you watch the first three, you can critique the first three. But you can't watch the first one and critique the whole series. You can't watch none and critique the whole series. It's like, nah. But uh, uh, I, I think... Um, fans of star trek that are staying away from paramount plus and these new series are doing themselves a disservice you should at least try some of them and see what you think get the whatever the seven day free trial or 30 day free trial or whatever they have and binge a few of these series and watch some of them and see what you think i could i could easily see you like some 
far better than others. I can see a lot of people maybe not get the um, animated series part where you're going, that's not my bag. But for me, I've enjoyed all of them. And I enjoy each one, I think, more because the other ones exist. Because I get to go, oh, I kind of feel like watching one of the animated ones. Oh, I feel like watching some of the Voyager. Oh, I'll go to Picard because they're all good. The only thing that I would say detracts from any of them, perhaps, is it is hard to do what I just described as sampling them just for the fact that all of them have like ongoing arcs pretty much. And so you kind of need to follow an arc through probably versus watching just random episodes. But I guess the animated series, you could probably watch random episodes and be fine. But it sounds like they're going to break from that in, um, in, in strange new worlds. Yes. It's going to be more like the original series, single contained episodes. Correct. They're going to, they're going to have things that what it sounds like to me is they're going to have it where things that happen to the characters. If, if, if Pike breaks his arm in an episode, they'll probably have him in a cast or something the next couple episodes. So, I mean, they'll carry some things over. There's going to be things that happen in episodes that carry over somewhat. But generally speaking, the storyline will be a self-contained story. They'll come on to a new planet, see what that planet's like. In 50 minutes, they'll have that adventure. And then the next week, they'll be at a different planet or a different adventure will be happening. And they won't all be tied together where oh we've got to go to this planet because it's part of our our mission that we're doing throughout the course of this season where we're doing all these things and they all link up together by the by the 12th episode or the 15th episode i don't think that's happening they're, they're, they're not gonna do a mountain monsters yeah so there's an episode of mountain monsters where they catch this thing in this trap mm-hmm. it's like we got it we got it and they come running up to the trap and then the episode ends and next week Nothing. They don't mention it. <laughs> they caught some like monster or something. And yeah. they, don't mention it. they never talk about it again. They never go back to that place. It's like <laughs> what happened there. <laughs> if you ever watched that show, it's totally freaking fake. Mm-hmm. But it's it's Fun. it's humorous as hell because uh, it's just yeah. <laughs> that sounds great. I try to pawn it off as like real, but not so much. <laughs> no, like doors appear, like a door will appear in the middle of like a cornfield, just randomly, right? With some symbol on it, and they're like, "Oh, what does it mean? It's this door is here." <laughs> it was like, <laughs> well, that's one thing that, uh, unfortunately, the way we do the podcast, it's kind of difficult because we there's enough Star Trek series like coming out. And enough uh, Marvel series coming out and with us doing In Search Of that it sort of takes most of our time covering just stuff that's coming out, right? Where I would love to, I was watching um, uh, a little bit of Danger Island, the show that was on uh, the Banana Splits where they had the live action piece in there with Jan Michael Vincent. And uh, that is so funny and stupid it's broken into chapters and you know each chapter they run into a problem um that that would be a fun thing to present sometimes or the some of the series that ran during banana splits i mean i'd love for us to talk about the arabian nights and, and chat about an episode of that all, all that stuff's available on youtube and you can watch them the, the three musketeers gulliver's travels all that kind of stuff um 
just a bunch of old series that were on when we were kids would be fun to to not do every episode or anything but present like one episode or something but we'll see uh, as we as we get through more things um it looks like there's going to be a dry period for both the the marvel stuff coming out um and the star trek stuff too where maybe we're gonna have this time where in the summer where it's like okay there's nothing new coming out and so now we can do some fun other shows to present because i like the episode where we've talked about uh johnny quest and the that johnny quest audio uh presentation that that was done um there's just there's just a lot of great things we can cover so hopefully bob and i will cover some of that and maybe some of our other friends will be with us but it might just be me and bob which is okay too so what were you saying bob this oh like this Oh, I love that. I was looking at old comic book ads. <laughs> the this, Polaris this, nuclear sub. We see it. Yeah. And that's what it really was. That's what you would get. The car, it was a big bunch of cardboard that yep. you would put together. There's, there's, I just, I don't know, something made me get into it. And I was like, I gotta say that cardboard one looks better than I thought it would. I mean, you know, it's certainly not the picture they're showing, which looks like it's all solid plastic or something that that would become assembled, this huge thing that you would get. Um, and it looks like you could house, you know, a kid or two in there and then the two on the outside. I mean, that's way bigger than they're showing with the it only holds one kid and, and so forth. But and yeah, it was some of the comments you two were funny. The, its biggest enemy was was water because it was cardboard. So if you left it outside, it would like start to sag. Oh yeah, so you have to bring it inside, and then of course it takes up all the space in your room or wherever you're going to put it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. look at that price six ninety eight. What could you expect for six ninety eight? What I like is uh, we're doing this. Uh, if we would have done this on our um, in search of podcasts, they'd actually see the pictures because this is an audio one. They have no idea what we're talking about. Probably, oh. I'll probably cut this section out and maybe tag it on to, to to the in search of or something. But we'll see. So anyway, if you're not if you're if you're hearing this and uh, Bob showing us the submarine picture from uh, the comic books and what the, what it really looked like, uh, which is cool, uh, and, and uh, but I doubt it. I'll probably cut it and move it somewhere. Anyway. Without further ado, I guess we're, we're done with our presentation of this episode of Picard. Love Picard. Keep tuning in. Definitely watch next week's. And uh, we'll see you folks next time, I guess. Um, Bob, you good with that? Yep. Hopefully we'll have Jim and Matt to talk about the next episode. because Hopefully. It'd be nice. But if not, you and I can do it. It's all good. Hey nerds, I'm Will Wheaton, and this is The Ready Room, your official behind-the-scenes hub for all things Star Trek Universe. Today we have an epically packed double interview for you to watch. First, I will be sitting down with Seven of Nine herself, Jerry Ryan, to talk about her role on Star Trek Picard. Then, a little later, I'm going to chat with executive producer Rod Roddenberry, who I've known since I was 14, about Picard and the wider Star Trek universe. Of course, it stands to reason that double the guests means double the spoilers. So if you haven't watched episode six of Star Trek Picard, you're going to want to watch that first. You're probably going to watch it two times just to be safe. 
Also, later, we have an exclusive clip from next week's episode of Star Trek Picard for you to check out. But before we get to any of that, Jean-Luc Picard went through some very heady stuff in this week's episode, The Impossible Box. And I think it's time we unpacked that box and took a closer look, don't you? Control room, engage. If you're telling a story about Jean-Luc Picard coming to terms with his past, his history, the Borg and his time in particular, his time as Locutus, as a Borg, it would be wrong to just ignore all that. In addition to being among the most compelling, fascinating antagonists ever created by any Star Trek writers, they are also deeply embedded in the story of Jean-Luc Picard. For those who don't know, the Borg came, they abducted Picard, and they turned him to Locutus of Borg. This is probably the single biggest nightmare of Picard's existence. He lost himself to Locutus, uh, and he became one of the collective. He's haunted by that. Even though he let it go, you're never quite the same again. And that is a huge part of what Picard has to face when he goes back to the Borg cube. It's mostly played on his face rather than huge plot point. So like when you first see him go onto the cube, obviously that's a huge moment that you play and you live through. Even when he's pondering going over there and you see it from a distance, it was dealt with from his point of view from a very emotional place. We also had a mandate from Sir Patrick never to simply repeat what had already been done. And so we felt a responsibility to reinvent or reinterpret the Borg. The ones that we encounter for the most part are Borg who have had their implants removed, they're crippled. They are pathetic creatures who have really no one to care for them or look after them except for Hugh, who is himself a former Borg, an ex-Borg, or ex-Bees as they're called. When we meet him, he is basically in charge of helping oversee this research project because I think he takes it upon himself to be the mediator and protect those like him who've been assimilated. You see him and there's a warmth to his character. He's the one who speaks for them and looks after them and is the only one, essentially, who really gives a damn about them as sentient creatures. I am joined today by Jerry Ryan, <laughs> who we all know as Seven of Nine. Uh, I have talked to all these people <laughs> who are brand new to Star brand Trek. New. But I know you. I know you in real life. We've been friends forever. We are both longtime members of, of the Star Trek family. We are. Seven had a really powerful entrance. Just what a cool. I didn't I didn't know she was piloting that little fighter. Good, you're like not supposed that, to know. That was great. Um, but uh, she like comes in just as a Bad ass. She is. Now, ship blows up. Got him. At breathe. Sword. 7 0. At action. 7 of 9. You owe me a ship, Picard. This is great. What is she doing? She's working with a group called the Fenris Rangers, mm -hmm. which is an independent, well, sort of peacekeeping, I guess, group. Okay. Um, law and order group, we'll say. Trying okay. to bring some semblance of order to the mess that the universe is in. And as she phrases it, I think in the scene where you see her confront Picard, it, she's trying to help people who have no one else to help them. Um, which is where she sees Picard having dropped the ball. 
Does she see herself as a part of a vigilante group? I don't think she considers them vigilantes. I think okay. that's the way Picard views them, mm -hmm. um, which she throws back in his face a little bit, I think. Um, she's trying to help. This is her way of coping. It's, there's a lot of crap. She's been, um, she's come back to a world where the Borg, I mean, the Borg have always been universally despised, but now right. she's really seeing it because before she was sort of insulated on Voyager. Um, so she's had 20 years of dealing with this and being ostracized and being literally hunted for parts. This is the first time I ever viewed the Borg, the individual Borg who have been assimilated into the collective, as the victims that they actually are. Yeah. That, I feel like such an a-hole that that never, <laughs> that never occurred to me. Because no, when we were dealing with yeah, them, they were, they were always the trying, Bella, to, they were these big, trying scary. to blow up our spaceship. Yeah. But they, especially the XB, there is so much humanity yes. in, in, in all of them. That strikes me as something, as a new uh, observation on the Borg, a new, a new shading in the Borg. When you were playing Seven on Voyager, mm -hmm. did you ever think of her that way? Like, did she ever come up as, I was a human and I existed yes, independently because, of the collective? especially in the early episodes when Janeway's trying to like bring her back. That's one thing that I thought they did a really good job of on Voyager is that they didn't make it black and white like, oh, you know, Federation's a hero and yeah. Janeway's riding in on a white horse. And um, they pointed out that gray area. Okay, the Borg took my independence away and took my choice away and now you're doing the exact same thing. I feel like the way you present her, she feels like a survivor. Yes, absolutely. Me. Like super empowered. Thank you. Good, I'm glad. Yeah, you like that. I feel that she is super empowered mm -hmm. and she's really dangerous. Yes. And and there's I have to read the name because I keep saying it wrong. Bejazel. Bejazel. I love that they hired Snoop Dogg to write the names <laughs> of aliens in Star Trek Picard. I think that is great. I'm super excited about that. I love you, Snoop Dogg. Um, so, who is this person? Why is Seven connected to her? Um, and why is it so important that she see her face to face? They work together. Bejazel pretended to be part of, I assume, the Fenris Rangers. We never spell that out specifically, but they worked together in the past um, on the same team. Mm -hmm. So, Bejazel was posing as someone who was trying to help like Seven was, and they were very close. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out that she's the one running this ring of people who are hunting the Borg. And she um, murdered, in a really brutal way, um, Ichep, which was basically Seven's son. Uh, that's the way she felt about him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Seven literally had to put him out of his misery, and he died in her arms, and that was that was gut-wrenching for her, and I think that was sort of Seven's breaking point. That scene when she, like, she, you can see that she's so close and just doesn't quite get there is heart-wrenching. I imagine that she comes back to you, right? Seven comes back to you. Yeah. But she's so different now. She's very different. I'm real interested in your creative process. <laughs> getting her... Panic. Get, getting Panic her... was my creative process. Oh. Yeah, fear's a great <laughs> motivator. terror. Um, yeah, because the big thing is that I didn't, she's an incredibly cool character. I just didn't want her to be a different character that just happens to have the same prosthetics. So uh -huh. that was really scary when I got the first script because her voice was completely different. I mean, everything about her was different, but uh -huh. I, couldn't, I couldn't find her voice 
in the script. Mm -hmm. And I was literally panicking. Um, and my friend Johnny DeLarco, who I'm sure you know, yep. um, had shot his first scenes as Hugh Borg the week before I started shooting. And so yeah. he had just gone through all of this with his character. And so he's a dear friend. And he came over and I made lunch and we just read through the scenes for like two hours. And finally he just threw out one little thing that was so simple that it's kind of amazing that it wasn't the first thing that occurred to me. I think I was just so blinded by <laughs> absolute terror mm -hmm. that I couldn't, I couldn't see it. And he said, okay, how about, try this. How about, it, what if, you know, Seven had to make a choice to be as human as possible, to sound as human as possible for survival because they're being hunted. That's a great And it was like a choice. light bulb went off. I yeah. just, and it, such a simple and obvious thing, but I think I was just so panicked I couldn't see it. And he saved my ass. <laughs> so uh, Seven is not in the episode we just released today. But Picard uh, is, since he's a title character of the show. Is he? Is he in and this? Yes, he's in oh, it a he's lot. In this. He's, oh, wow. he's, he's heavy cool. in this episode. <laughs> he is dealing with the aftermath of having been Locutus. Mm -hmm. And Seven, or Annika, is dealing with the aftermath of having been Seven. Does that enter into her interactions with him? That they are both sort of former members of the collective? Does it affect how she thought of him or interacts with him? Does she expect certain things from him? Do they have that shared experience that maybe they don't want to talk about, like we don't talk about the war? Like, is it I like that? I think it's very much like that. There is a moment where she says, you know, do you really feel that you, when you were separated from the collective, do you really feel you got your humanity back, basically? Um, and he said, yes, and she said, you know, completely. And he said, no, he has to admit it. But we're both working on it, aren't we? Every damn day of my life. That's, I think, that's their common ground. That, like you said, like, you don't talk about the war. I don't, I don't think it was something that they were going to mention until that moment, where it's something they're both struggling with. And this might be the last opportunity to actually mention it. I was beside myself when I found out you were going to be on the show <laughs> uh, because I think your character is really interesting Thank and you. I just like you as a person. Thank you. So I, I, like was, you ex too. I was excited about that. <laughs> um, it seems like a lot of uh, fandom was kind of excited about you coming back as well. It's been a really um, nice reaction. Just talk, just talk about it a little bit. I just want to know. Like, everybody I've talked to <laughs> is new to Star Trek, but you're a veteran. Yeah. And you know what it's like to be on the new thing. You know yep. what it's like to be on the thing that is not the new thing anymore. Yep. And now you're on the new thing again. <laughs> and I just, I, I, share, share, would you share the experience of what it's like? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, okay, listen, as an actor, what kind of a gift is it to be given a character that people are even interested in seeing again 20 years later? That's yeah. huge. That's, I mean, I'm so touched by that and so honored by that. Um, and the fact that they were able to keep this a secret until Comic-Con when they did the big reveal in the trailer, I never in a million years thought they were going to be able to pull that off. I yeah. was sure it was going to leak. We were shooting on location on Universal City, yeah. or CityWalk. Yeah. Like the movie capital of the world, you know, yeah. Universal, where fans go. We're dry. <laughs> our, our set was on, or our base camp was on the back lot. Yeah. I had to be cloaked. I wore this, like, we called it the invisibility cloak. Amazing. 
completely covered. My hands, everything, costume, my head. They just pulled it out of the Harry Potter wardrobe. Yes, exactly. Okay. I look like a Dementor. Yeah. Every time I stepped out of the trailer, just to go between trailers, to get into the car to go to set, I had yeah. to be completely covered. And at one point, we're driving to set, and it was really slow. I was like, why are we driving so slow? Oh, we're behind the tram tour. I was like, are you trying to make this leak? That's amazing. And they actually pulled off the surprise. So the fan reaction... Um, waiting backstage at Comic-Con, waiting to go on I can when imagine. the trailer aired was pretty cool. The fans have been incredibly welcoming. and Well, you know the fan base. They're incre Star Trek fans are like nothing. You guys things. are like nothing else in the world. Yeah. You are the best. Um, what was it like the first time you're in the, you're in the works <laughs> and, and they finish your it's Borg crazy. implants? It was crazy. What was it like? Very surreal because this has been a two-year process since I first, it was, since it was first broached. Yeah. To me. And I didn't think it was ever going to really actually come to fruition. Um, and then to actually be sitting there and see that, see her again, even though she was very different. Yeah. Um, was very surreal. Uh, you said it was a two-year process. Yeah. That's a long time. It's long. Time. It's long. Uh, when you got the call, did you think, if I got that call, I would think this is a practical joke. <laughs> when you got the call, were you like, it's happening, or are you like, well, we'll see? With the original talk, yeah. it was brought up a little differently for me and for Johnny because our friend James Duff, who's another good friend outside of this world, yeah. um, who was one of the original creators of the show, pitched the idea at the Hollywood Bowl two years ago while we're drinking champagne. And so, you know, three glasses into the evening, I felt it was the right time to bring it up, and yeah. I laughed and thought it was a joke. Yeah. Um, but he kept bringing it up every time I would see him. And... I still didn't really think anything was going to come of it, but once we got the actual official... Oh, actually, before that, I was at the Creative Arts Emmys uh -huh. a year ago. Yeah. Lined up backstage behind Alex Kurtzman, ready to go on because they were presenting Star Trek yeah. with an award. And he turned around and said, oh, yeah, I understand you've been talking to James. You've been talking a lot about Seven in the writer's room. And I was like, what? <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> I guess it's actually happening. I was shocked. I really was shocked. And, you know, I, I wasn't particularly interested when he first pitched it until he started describing what their vision was for Seven and who she is and what she's been through and what she's become, which was really pretty much too intriguing to pass out. Uh, I mentioned earlier we didn't see Seven in today's episode. Mm -hmm. Will she be back later in the season? She will be back. Will you come back and talk to us when she's on later in the I season? I will. <laughs> I love that. Jerry, thank you for making thank time you. to be here today. This one is from after your time. A spatial trajector. The Borg acquired the technology after assimilating Sakarians. The Sakarians made their debut in which Star Trek television series? Is it A, the original series, B, Voyager, C, Deep Space Nine, or D, Enterprise? Don't boldly go anywhere. Stay tuned for the answer. This week's episode of Star Trek Picard added yet another layer of complexity to the Borg, more specifically, the XBs. Today, we have an inside look at what went into bringing those XBs to life. Check it out. XBs, former Borg, that's what we call ourselves. One of the biggest carrots of the show were the Borg. From a design point of view, I just so wanted that opportunity. To my chagrin, it was XB versus the Borg that we all know, because I was like, oh, I have such a vision of what the head-to-toe new Borg could be, but instead, we're doing 
the stripped down version of the Borg. And that's when my chagrin turned to delight because I love a challenge that it's not obvious to me what I'm gonna do. My propensity as a designer is I try and make sense of things. So when you get to the Borg, there's tubes coming from places that I have no idea why. It's an alien assimilation process. So who are we to say that we need to know what it is? But as a designer, it's like, but I need to know. And that's when you kind of have to let go and then channel Michael Westmore and try and imagine him coming up with the design back in the day. And that's, a, that's kind of a fun thing to do is to play in his sandbox and uh, riff off of his aesthetic and try and get the essence of it. What made it really, really exciting was working with Vincent Van Dyke and seeing what they can do. But you'll have silicone pieces like this with 3D printed tech. So these were designed by Neville, 3D printed. We would then mold them and generate them in plastic and glue them into each prosthetic piece. So every, anytime you have a piece like this where there's these little missing cutouts, that tech would get glued in, a little pre-paint around them, and then they would get boxed with a variety of different face pieces. We wanted to be careful to not have it become just a monstrous Frankenstein aesthetic, uh, yet in a lot of ways it, it was. And we needed to capture a sense of empathy in the XBs. It was really critical. They weren't just the Borg anymore. They, they were not to be feared. They were to be empathized with. And the idea was that it was all very violently taken away from them. It was not a, a, a finite plastic surgery, beautiful job, but that it was much more of a messy process. So we're trying to create emotion with that as well. I mean, emotion in a scar can actually say a lot. We wanted to keep the XBs as modular as possible. We had high volume of, of XBs on any given day and really didn't know ahead of time who they were going to go on. So what we would do is create these boxes that had choice tech pieces with appliances um, that felt like they'd be appropriate. That would get sent to James McKinnon on set and then James's team has to then create and expand the world of the Borgs by using all of these components and mixing and matching all of this so that we have a distinctive range of XBs on set. There was a lot of days where there was, you know, a sea of XBs, and it was amazing to walk through and see all of these stations, all of these makeup artists bringing these to life. It was a really beautiful thing. You know how makeup works is on camera, it can be flawless, but in person, you can look at it and go, okay, I see where you glued it together. I see where the actor's skin is and where the prosthetic is. It took effort up close in person to kind of look at the actor and see the difference between rubber and flesh. It was so good. Thank you for showing me this. No one could understand it better than you. I am joined right now by Rod Roddenberry, who is an executive producer on Star Trek Picard and someone I've known since we were both teenagers. Yep. Um, yep. Thank you so much. No, for being thank you for here. having me here. It's, a, it's an honor. Your dad was Gene Roddenberry. Yep. Your dad was my boss. Um, that makes us like cousins. Cousins who just see each other every now and then. Yeah, right? During, a, th during the right family event. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so we are at this moment that I think could be accurately described as the golden age of Star Trek. It's mm -hmm. come all around. There are so many Star Trek shows, I have to read yeah. them off this card. Yes. We've got Picard, Discovery, 
lower decks, short treks, and who even knows what else is, is coming up. What does that mean to you? You know, I'm, I'm actually really happy that there's this uh, rebirth of Star Trek in a way, you know, because uh, we lost Enterprise in 2005 and, and then there was a silent period, of course. Yeah. Um, and J.J. did obviously the movies, but now is the age of taking a brand, taking uh, a show, a concept, and, and looking at it from every different angle. And I, I think Star Trek has had a universe for f over 50 years. It's fun to see other parts of that it, universe, it is, right? It is great. It is great to see that. So I'm really excited to see them do even smaller stuff, whether it's on the web, whether it's theatrical, what's here. Just look at from every different angle and learn about these characters and these species and, and what's humanity like in this time period, what's humanity like in this time period. So I, I think it's awesome. But there is a fundamental philosophy that underpins Star Trek, yeah. which does not underpin anything yeah. else. Yeah. When you talk about Star Trek, when anyone talks about Star Trek, there there is a difference. Only Star Trek is Star Trek. Absolutely. Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, Doctor Who, only Star Trek is Star Trek. And that is your father's vision. How do you caretake that? And and do you caretake that? Do yeah. you Are you involved in ensuring that those things which make Star Trek special are still connected? You're like, hey, I'm connected to how this started. Mm -hmm. We need to keep mm -hmm. these things alive. Do you do anything like that? Well, I, I'd say the, the, the founding philosophy is the idic philosophy, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, the appreciation of all things that are unique and different, not just the appreciation, but the, the craving, the thirst. In Star Trek, and I'm preaching to the direct choir now, <laughs> um, in, in Star Trek, they weren't out seeking out weird looking aliens. They were seeking new ideas, people yeah. who looked at the universe in a different way, yeah. because we know in the future that we can evolve and grow and better ourselves by finding people who look at the universe in a different way. And, and that, is the, the, that is the backbone of what Star Trek is and should be, in my opinion. And uh, what, what I try to do, my involvement, is to uh, send in thoughts, suggestions, notes on that philosophy. It sounds to me like you've been engaged in some meaningful consultation to uh, make sure that the spirit of the next generation exists in Star Trek Picard. When I have talked to Akiva, when I talked to Michael, uh, when I talked to Hanali, mm -hmm. that was very important to yeah. all of them. Yeah. Did you speak with them directly? Did well, you have individualized conversations with people? Yeah, we're, we're definitely involved early on in the process. And uh, well, well, they don't necessarily, you know, we, we don't hold the rights to the, the, the Star Trek philosophy or the Roddenberry philosophy, or maybe the Roddenberry philosophy, but but um, we are there to supplement and to uh, share our input in terms of what that could be in these stories and these scenes. And I'd say most, if not every single person who works on the show in the creative aspect has a pretty solid understanding of what yeah. that is. And as, as I think you'll, you'll acknowledge, throughout the years, Star Trek has taken varied paths. Mm -hmm. You know, with the different shows. Mm -hmm. You know, you started with the original series, which was, you know, the classic, the original. But Next Generation was a different kind of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And, it's, and it's, it's my Star Trek. It's a Star Trek I grew up with. It's a Star Trek that I love. Me too. Um, and then Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise took their own paths. Mm -hmm. um, but I always brought it back to Next Gen because that was the one where my father really got his second chance. Mm-hmm. And I think he had evolved as a human. He'd evolved as a person. His thoughts, his ideas, he was no longer the cowboy. Mm -hmm. You know, Kirk evolved from Kirk to Picard, who was more of the diplomat, obviously. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really a, a great indication of how my father's views on life had changed. And of course, Star Trek varied from there and did different things. I sometimes have a little uh, struggle yeah. trying to define what Star Trek is and what it isn't. 
it's not killing the bad guy. Mm -hmm. You know, the, Star Trek's at its best when we understand the bad guy. There's empathy. Right. The bad guy is the hero of their story. Yeah. And yeah. we are trying to reach conflict resolution. Exactly. With, with, with exactly. the bad guy. Star Trek shows us who we can be someday. Yeah. The, the kind of humans we can be, where we're, we're, we have ethics and, and we take the higher ground and, 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 and we do the right thing. But Star Trek can also reflect who we are today, mm -hmm. where we can be petty, we can argue, we can bicker, we can have subterfuge in our, in our society, our governments. Mm -hmm. I bounce back and forth between those two because I yeah. feel really good when I watch an episode of Next Generation and I see this crew working together for the greater good. Mm -hmm and people respect each other and listen to each other regardless of rank mm -hmm. and they get through the day they, they figure out their situation together and then there are episodes where you know there's a little bit of bickering and someone's chasing someone and someone's talking behind the other person but you know i struggle with that but i understand we need to identify with these stories and the characters so we can make we can identify see the problems and then grow from those situations this week we got to see hugh uh, on that board cube, we got to see all the XBs, yeah. and we got to see XBs calling Picard Locutus. Yeah, yeah. Um, talk a little bit about what the Borg mean to you, and how you are feeling about the Borg as we see them now, where they're sort of sympathetic. We are seeing mm -hmm. the Borg as victims. Mm -hmm. So. Early on, I got to hear the, the early concepts for this and what yeah. they were really trying to do with the Borg and the intentions and all that. And um, I, w I was so excited to see them take a whole new spin on, on the Borg. Um, to, to do what they've done in the past, no one wanted to do that. We had to do something new. Mm -hmm. And to, as I was saying early, earlier, perhaps have some empathy for these beings who have a right to exist. Mm -hmm. um, we go back to I, Borg, that episode. Again, one of my favorite episodes with yeah. Hugh in it. Um, you got that pivotal moment at the end where they can wipe out all the Borg mm -hmm. with a virus. And they make the ethical choice that is not right to, to rob these beings of their humanity, of their, of their, of their life. Uh, we could send this one back and hopefully this person could influence Hugh, could influence them and, and make radical change. And of course, that is what happens. Mm -hmm. um, you see that here, uh, full fruition. Uh, Hugh is 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 back, and Hugh is uh, Hugh's got his humanity back. I really appreciate you coming by to spend time oh. with us today. Well, it's my pleasure. Um, yeah. no, you have thank you. you have just you just have such an interesting and such a unique perspective on on all of this. I know you don't need to hear this from me, but I want you to hear this from me. I know your parents really well. Um, I know how proud of you they would be. I appreciate that. I know how fiercely proud of you they would be. You are making Star Trek so proud all the time with what you do, and you need to know that. I really appreciate that. Thanks, Will. I really do. Thanks for Thank being you. here. The Sakarians made their debut in which Star Trek television series? A, the original series, B, Voyager, C, Deep Space Nine, or D, Enterprise? The answer is B, Star Trek Voyager. In season one, the USS Voyager attempted to use the Sakarian spatial trajector to help them return home. Well, that's everything we have for today, so thank you for joining us here in the Ready Room, and until next time... Come on, did you really think I was going to leave you hanging without a sneak peek of next week's episode? I love you, I'd never do that to you. Let's roll it. Get us back online, Rafi! I'm trying, I'm trying! The tractor beam is completely...
completely scrammed our systems! Try harder, goddammit! I blame you for this! Me? How is this my fault? Chris, baby, he's an old man. How far is he gonna get? Now Picard's en route to a planet that stays away at maximum warp. Don't ask me how. And I'm tractor locked to a board cube full of Rodulus! Can't you hack the traffic control system? Raffi! I'm trying! The underlying code's all freaky horny machine language. Just ask them to let us go. They don't want us. They want her. I mean, wherever Picard took her, they'll hunt her down and destroy her. Just tell them we want to go home. Okay, now that's everything we have for today. As always, Thank you so much for joining me here in the Ready Room. Next week, I will be interviewing my old friends and my fellow Next Gen alums, Jonathan Frakes and Brent Spiner, to talk about Episode 7 of Star Trek Picard. Until then, I'm Will Wheaton. Live long and prosper.